Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by and welcome to the Sierra Wireless First Quarter Earnings Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today, David Climey, Vice President, Investor Relations. Please go ahead. Thanks and good afternoon, everybody. Thank you for joining today's conference call and webcast. On the call today are Ken Thexton, Dave McLennan, and Sam Cochran, our new Chief Financial Officer. As a reminder, today's presentation is being webcast and will be available on our website following the call. Today's agenda is as follows. Ken will provide his corporate update, Dave will provide a detailed review of our first quarter 2020 results, and Ken will provide you summary comments followed by Q&A. Before we get started, I will reference the company's cautionary note regarding forward-looking statements. A summary of our cautionary note can be found on page two of the webcast and is now being displayed. Today's presentation contains certain statements and information that are not based on historical facts and constitute forward-looking statements within the meaning of applicable securities laws. These statements include our financial guidance, statements about our strategy, goals, objectives, and expectations, and commentary regarding the outlook for our business. Our forward-looking statements are based on a number of material assumptions, including those listed on page two of the webcast presentation, and could prove to be significantly incorrect. Additionally, forward-looking statements are based on our management's current expectations, and we caution investors that forward-looking statements particularly those that relate to longer periods of time, are subject to substantial known and unknown material risks and uncertainties that could cause actual events or results to differ significantly from those expressed or implied by forward-looking statements. I draw your attention to a longer discussion of our risk factors in our AIF and management's discussion and analysis, which can be found on CDAR and EDGAR, as well as other regulatory filings. This presentation should be viewed in conjunction with our quarterly earnings release. With that, I will now turn the call over to Kent for his corporate update. Thanks, David. I would like to start my comments today by saying I'm very pleased with how well the global team at Sierra has responded to the COVID-19 pandemic and how we have worked together quickly to adjust to this new and challenging environment while always focusing on delivering leading IoT solutions to our customers. While COVID-19 has impacted revenue in certain parts of our business and delayed some new introductions, many of our IoT solutions are providing important cellular connectivity services for emergency responders, healthcare providers, and those requiring remote access. And in a time of increasing automation, asset monitoring, and robotics, our customers are increasingly looking for simple, scalable, integrated IoT solutions from Sierra that they can deploy quickly. As you know, we operate in three major regions of the world, and our team in Asia was the first team to move quickly to work from safe shelter at home, 
starting with our R&D and operations team in Hong Kong and Shenzhen in early March. They navigated quickly through this difficult environment and are now fully operational from our facilities. Our North American and European teams also moved to safe home working environments, and we are now starting to see a slow and careful opening up of business in various jurisdictions. This seamless move to remote working was facilitated by our own products to ensure both better connectivity and performance. Our overall productivity through this period has been strong and a recurring revenue win activity has been robust in the first quarter, which I'll be talking about more in a minute. I'm also proud that we have been working very closely with our customers, partners, suppliers, and manufacturers around the world as we collectively manage through this period. Given the very dynamic environment, our first quarter revenue was in line with our internal expectations, despite some supply chain challenges. Dave McLennan will walk through the financial results in the first quarter in more detail. On our call today, I would like to comment on our achievements in the first quarter and some external factors related to COVID-19. In Q1, our sales team delivered a record quarter of recurring revenue wins, totaling $41.2 million in LTAR. As we've explained previously, LTAR is based on the estimated annual recurring revenue in year three from the time a customer's program is activated and includes those service wins that we have secured and acquired. To put this in perspective, the $41 million in LTAR in Q1 was more than the total LTAR we reported in 2018 and approximately 45% of the total LTAR achieved in all of last year. These wins are the flywheel of future recurring high-margin revenue growth. We are seeing more industrial and enterprise IoT customers adopting our fully integrated IoT solutions because they are scalable and improve customers' time to market and have a low total cost of ownership. At the same time, wind conversions and our deployment schedules have been improving. At Sierra, we have the advantage of working with our customers early in the design cycle, starting with our modules and gateways, and then with the discussion immediately expands to our connectivity solutions, edge-to-cloud data orchestration, and comprehensive and secure management platform. This fully integrated solution with the combination of hardware plus connectivity services is the key differentiator when we are going up against our competition, particularly the low-cost, hardware-only players. To illustrate this point more fully, I'd like to quickly summarize a series of five wins that we have secured in the first quarter that are highly indicative of our strategy. First, a large HVAC manufacturer, a division of the number one air conditioning company in the world, wanted to quickly transition from its unstable Wi-Fi networking solution to reliable cellular connectivity for real-time monitoring of its equipment. Our solution was based on the LPWA CAT-M1 technology for long reach and low power, bonded with our Sierra SmartSIM connectivity services. The LTAR associated with this service win was $2 million, in addition to $2 million of hardware. Second, a leading U.S. defense contractor that operates monitoring towers Ground control stations is deploying our RV50X and RV55 gateways and a customized bundled data plan for its high-speed data requirement. Sierra is also providing them with a single platform to manage their gateways and SIMs, and the LTAR associated with this win was $4.4 million, plus an additional $1 million in hardware value. Third example is the U.S.-based company requiring a robust IoT solution for outdoor monitoring in remote areas selected our integrated solution with 
that included device and connectivity and cloud management. To give the customer a unified system at a lower total cost of ownership, and the LTAR with this win was $1.5 million, plus $3 million of expected hardware value. Fourth example is a fast-growing industrial customer that needed to secure a communications platform for its ground systems and unmanned aerial vehicles. So we provided the customer with a cellular embedded module bundled with a smart SIM package that provided stable, ubiquitous network access. The LTAR with this win was 1.2 million, along with an expected $2 million of hardware value. And my fifth example is a specialized glass manufacturer in the US. They selected our managed connectivity service to have a highly reliable IoT monitoring system for their large commercial glass installations. They're using our Gateways Plus connectivity service to provide a premium service to their end customers. The LTR on this managed connectivity service contract was 2.2 million. To summarize, these five design wins represent approximately 11 million in LTR, and there is an additional 9 million in expected hardware value associated with these wins. So these use cases are good examples of how we bundle our devices with recurring service revenue to win in the competitive market and drive shareholder value. Moving on to other activities, in terms of bringing on new talent to the Sierra management team, I'm pleased to announce that Sam Cochran has joined us, starting yesterday, as the new chief financial officer of the company. Sam was formerly with Motorola Solutions and Avigilon, and he will be spending the next two months ramping quickly on the company and ensuring there's a smooth transition from Dave McLennan, who announced in December last year that he would be retiring in the middle of this year. I'm also pleased to announce that Steve Harmon will be joining our team as Senior Vice President of America Sales. After a number of successful years at both SAP and Sybase, Steve served in senior sales roles at BlackBerry for the last six years as they went through their critical transformation from a hardware-centric to a software and solution-centric company. Steve will be reporting to me and responsible for all sales and delivery activities in the Americas. To expand our sales coverage in the EMEA region, we've hired a new VP of channel sales, Michael Frey who was formerly with Ruckus Wireless. Michael will be based in Germany and is bringing with him four colleagues to strengthen our channel relationship in Europe with a key focus on growing our enterprise solutions gateway business in the region. This investment will immediately add experience and strong customer relationships in key industrial European markets and in the EMEA enterprise business. We continue to face some supply chain challenges related to COVID-19 here in Q2 that are similar to other technology companies who are manufacturing in Asia. Last year, we worked hard to strengthen and expand our component suppliers. However, in this current environment, we are seeing some components being placed on allocation that may delay production scheduling. These supply chain issues are constraining some demand in the second quarter. On the positive side, we have been very pleased with the performance of our manufacturing partners, Flex and Jable, who are back and now fully operational We've been working diligently with them to source components for the manufacturing locations in Suzhou and Vietnam. We are all aware of the dramatic impact that COVID-19 has had on the automotive sector, and most of our customers' manufacturing facilities have been experiencing partial lockdowns here in the second quarter. Our customers are seeing a temporary but significant delay in demand as showrooms remain closed in most of the major markets. While we are pleased that our automotive manufacturing and sales in China have picked back up and we are seeing a slow reopening in other jurisdictions, 
we will see a significant impact on our automotive revenue in Q2. We are also experiencing some delays in our customers' deployment schedules and carrier certifications, despite being in an environment where we are often seeing stable or sometimes improving demand. While it is hard to predict when our customers will get back to the regular cadence of delivery, we have seen many customers start to move in this direction as the EU and North American economies slowly begin to open up for business. With that, I will now hand the call over to Dave McLennan for his review of our first quarter financial results. Thank you, Kent, and good afternoon, everyone. Note, we report our financial results in U.S. dollars and on a U.S. GAAP basis. We also present non-GAAP results to provide a better understanding of our operating performance. A full reconciliation between our GAAP and non-GAAP results is available on our website. Total revenue in the first quarter was $157.6 million, down 9.3% compared to the first quarter 2019. Despite a modest impact from COVID-19 during the quarter, Overall, these results were aligned with our internal expectations. The first quarter is typically a seasonally low quarter. The year-over-year decline reflects a reduction in hardware sales in our IoT solutions segment, which I will elaborate on in a moment. Non-GAAP gross margin in the first quarter was 27.7%, compared to 29.5% in the prior quarter, reflecting unfavorable product mix in both of our reporting segments. Our non-GAAP operating expenses in Q1 were $57.4 million, up $2.6 million year-over-year from Q1 2019. This mainly reflects investments in go-to-market capability and marketing initiatives in our IoT segment and the addition of the acquired M2M Group's operating expense. Our non-GAAP net loss was $14.7 million, and adjusted EBITDA was negative $9.2 million, compared to a non-GAAP loss of $0.9 million and adjusted EBITDA of $4.5 million a year ago. The impact of COVID-19 in Q1 was mostly operational, and while we did see some negative impact on revenue in the quarter, it was not significant. We reopened our Shenzhen R&D facility after the Chinese New Year holidays, and in line with local government directions, our employees working in Hong Kong, Seoul, and Tokyo work from home as much as possible. The lockdown restrictions resulted in factory closures of our manufacturing and component suppliers in China. These operations gradually reopened beginning in late February. While the work-from-home situation did not directly impact our manufacturing partner in Vietnam, they were affected by dependencies on component suppliers in China. We continue to experience supply chain disruptions relating to our component suppliers located in Malaysia, the Philippines, and Mexico as a result of the continuing impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. In addition, logistics supporting the transportation of goods remains a challenge due to the dramatic reduction of passenger flights globally and the insufficient capacity of cargo specialized flights. These factors, combined with the macroeconomic slowdown from COVID-19 in certain of our markets, is resulting in a weaker-than-expected projection of revenue for the second quarter of 2020. As I mentioned earlier, overall, our revenue in Q1 2020 was down 9.3% compared to Q1 2019 and was generally aligned with our internal expectations. Revenue in our IoT solutions segment was down 16.4% year-over-year. On a positive note, recurring and other services revenue of $26.8 million was up $3.9 million, or 17%, year-over-year, driven by growth in connected devices and the addition of the acquired M2M Group's revenue. 
However, this solid growth was offset by lower year-over-year hardware revenue as a result of entering the first quarter 2020 with higher-than-normal inventory in the distribution channel, continuing pressure from low-priced competitors in hardware-only segments, a transition to lower-cost LPWA technologies, and some modest supply constraints related to COVID-19. Revenue in our embedded broadband segment was relatively flat year-over-year with higher automotive module sales in in the quarter offset by the anticipated decline in mobile computing module sales to both Dell and Lenovo and some last-time buys by certain networking customers, which occurred in Q1 2019. Looking at non-GAAP gross margin in Q1 compared to a year ago, total gross margin was 43.6 million, or 27.7% in the first quarter, compared to 54.7 million, or 31.5% in Q1 2019. Sequentially, compared to Q4 2019, gross margin declined by 180 basis points. This reflects lower gross margin in our IoT solutions segment as a result of lower sales of higher margin gateways and in the embedded broadband reporting segment, higher sales of lower margin automotive modules combined with lower sales of higher margin mobile computing modules. Moving on to the balance sheet, we ended the first quarter 2020 with $72.8 million of cash. Specifically in the quarter, operating activities consumed $6.4 million of cash. This reflects the impact of negative EBITDA in the quarter. Capital expenditures during the quarter were $4.7 million, resulting in negative free cash flow of $11.1 million. Early in the quarter, we completed the acquisition of the M2M Group in Australia. This consumed $18.2 million of cash, net of cash acquired in the business, and the extinguishment of certain assumed liabilities. During the quarter, we drew down $25 million on our existing revolving line of credit with CIBC in order to bridge the use of funds to acquire the M2M Group and also to strengthen our balance sheet in light of the challenging COVID-19 environment. Overall, these activities resulted in 6.3 million decrease in our cash balance from year-end 2019. Regarding our revolving credit line with CIBC, on April 30th, we amended the credit agreement to increase the credit limit to $50 million up from the previous $30 million limit and extend the maturity date to April 2023 from the previous maturity date of July 2021. We are very pleased with this amendment to our credit agreement with the increase in credit limit and the extension of term, it provides us additional liquidity in these uncertain times. Regarding our financial guidance, the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on our global business remains uncertain. While we continue to evaluate the effects of COVID-19 on our business, the overall severity and duration of the adverse impacts related to COVID-19 cannot be reasonably estimated at this time. As a result of the uncertainty surrounding the duration and impact of COVID-19, we are unable to provide a reliable outlook for the balance of 2020, and as a a result, we are withdrawing our previous guidance for full year 2020 revenue and adjusted EBITDA presented on February 13, 2020. We continue to believe that our products and solutions make us well-positioned to drive strong long-term growth in an expanding IoT industry when the global economy commences recovery from the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. With that, I will now turn the call back to Kent to provide some concluding remarks. Thanks, Dave. In closing, all signs lead me to believe that our competitive position in providing leading-edge, fully integrated IoT solutions 
with both hardware devices and connectivity services is strengthening. And given our strong win activity and growing LTAR, we believe that we remain on track as we drive towards our goal of doubling our recurring other service revenue to 200 million in the middle of 2022, and then doubling it again to 400 million by the middle of 2024. In addition, I'm pleased that we're seeing a growing number of our industrial IoT and enterprise customers slowly and carefully opening up their businesses and manufacturing facilities, and in certain locations starting to ramp back up production levels, such as Volkswagen, Peugeot Citroën, and FCA. Regarding 2020, we are seeing good demand signals for our IoT devices and solutions, and we are working to adapt rapidly to the needs of our customers and markets. However, given the unknown timing and potential impacts of economies reopening, our visibility has been reduced, and therefore, as Dave mentioned earlier, we have withdrawn our outlook regarding full-year financial performance. From a board perspective, we announced on April 16th the board has appointed two new directors, Jim Anderson and Kareem Mabawa. Jim is the president and CEO of Lattice Semiconductor and has worked at senior levels of international technology companies, including AMD, Intel, and Broadcom. Kareem is active on several boards and was the formal general counsel and chief legal officer at BlackBerry for 12 years. So we are pleased to have these experienced individuals join the Sierra board. With our new strategic shareholder, Lion Point Capital, we have agreed to include a special resolution in the proxy this year to expand the board size at Sierra from nine to 12. If that resolution is passed by shareholders on May 21st, then the board will appoint three new independent directors, which I'm very excited about. With Lion Point Capital as a long-term investor, we now have the majority of the company's shares held by institutional investors, and our top three investors collectively own about one-third of Sierra's shares and these top investors are focused on long-term shareholder value creation. Before we open up the call for questions, I would like to say a special thank you to Dave McLennan for serving as Chief Financial Officer of the company since 2004. Dave has been instrumental in growing the company over the years and was involved in many significant M&A transactions along the way, including the acquisition and financing of Wavecom, the divestiture of the USB modem and mobile hotspot business to Netgear, and securing the acquisition of both MainGate and Numerex. Dave, we want to thank you for your valued contribution over the last 16 years and your financial stewardship over that time. We wish you the best in your retirement. And our new CFO, Sam Cochran, who is on the call today, will be taking over the role immediately and working closely with myself and Dave over the next two months to ensure there's a smooth transition in finance. Sam will also be joining me for our analyst and investor callbacks following today's conference call. Moderator, I would now like to open the call for questions. Thank you. At this time, I would like to remind everyone, in order to ask a question, please press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. Our first question comes from Paul Treber from RBC Capital Markets. Your line is open. Oh, thanks so much and good evening. Just to help understand the potential impact of the uh, automotive uh, production shutdowns, you know, typically in a in a typical year, you know, what's the, the size of automotive you know against other verticals? And then, could you speak to the cadence or like the rate of change typically in that that revenue stream? You know, what type of visibility or lag do you have um, to new orders and changes in orders? Hi, Paul. It's uh, it's Dave speaking here. 
Um, you know, just to just to roughly size the automotive business for you, uh, you're referring to our segmented uh, reporting segments last year. It was about half of the embedded broadband segment to give you a sense of the uh, the size of the automotive business. So it's a fairly sizable business. You know, with respect to the uh, the ordering patterns that we've seen since the commencement of of, uh, of COVID, we had you know substantial ramp expectations based on uh, customer platform. Uh, designs, uh, sorry, customer platform launching plans in Q2. They've obviously been interrupted with uh, with plant closures, the OEM uh, manufacturing plant closures, and um, you know we're working with our customers as they reschedule those orders. But without a doubt, you know we will be down fairly significantly in our automotive business in uh, in Q2, and um, you know that that will be somewhat cushioned by what we expect to be growth in some of our other businesses because we are seeing some some decent demand in other areas but um, it will be overshadowed by a decline sequentially from uh, from q1 in our automotive business and these are pretty high volume customers so it, it will be uh, it will be noticeable to the extent that we'll be you know down sequentially from uh, from q1 is where we currently see our expectations and Paul, it's Kent here. I'll just add a little bit more color to that. I think that uh, you know you will have seen most of the major auto manufacturers uh, have uh, shut their plants during Q2. Uh, we're seeing uh, most of those reopening at this point in time. So um, you know the impact was uh, is uh, is strongly felt in Q2. The rest of our business um, is has continued along quite well. Um, Q1 is normally seasonally low, and we uh, expect to see. The rest of our business uh, continuing to expand in Q2, but the big impact and uh, you know major product line for us is automotive, and that will be um, that will that will that will reduce in Q2, and then we uh, um, believe start to pick back up for the balance of the year. And how how are you thinking about uh, your investments in, in new go-to-market capabilities here? Um, I mean, it seems like you know you mentioned this number of. Um, Design wins that you're seeing uh, on the end-to-end side in the services. Um, you know, are you looking to, to keep all those investments, um, or you know, are you considering pulling back some? You know, just in light of um, you know the shortfall that you're seeing on the automotive side in the near term. Uh, well, I would. You know, I think there's probably two questions there. So on automotive, it's our lowest margin uh, product segment. So um, while that affects the top line. Uh, more than it does the bottom line. Um, on the design win side, you know we have built um, a strong position in the marketplace, and uh, we're building a strong funnel of design wins for both hardware and recurring revenue. Um, and a very strong uh, quarter in Q1, uh, you know, will lead to significant uh, revenue down downstream. Uh, we're not seeing a significant slowdown in that part of the business in terms of being able to bring on that future value. So we're gonna be uh, watching our dollars very closely during these times, as you would expect. Uh, we're being uh, you know, very uh, conscious of, uh, of every expense, but we're staying on uh, our strategy of uh, being the leading player in IoT solutions. Uh, we have not only uh, a strong design win quarter, our uh, pipeline of opportunities is growing uh, significantly and so we're going to be continuing to progress those, and uh, we'll see we'll see those um, you know continue to build as the time goes. So, you know, summary answer your question: managing costs uh, exceptionally tightly, continuing the strategy of driving complete IoT solutions, 
to win in the expanding IoT and industrial IoT markets, um, and that uh, automotive will have a, a impact on on Q2, uh, but more from the top line. And then this uh, dovetails into one of your last comments on the on the pipeline growing significantly. But you know, broadly speaking, do you see the shift to work from home? Um, accelerating the deployment of IoT, um, and uh, have you seen signs of that occurring yet, at least in the feedback that you're getting in, in, through RFPs and whatnot? You know, I think it's too early for RFPs, but, um, you know, we are, we are closely looking at the changing, the work from home, educate from home, um, have less humans involved to uh, manage assets, to track um, you know, track uh, products, devices, do uh, uh, predictive maintenance, uh, et cetera. So I think that the long-term trends were positive, and I think that um, the changes in the world, if, if they do anything, they accelerate those. Uh, the ability to uh, deploy in the short, short term is more challenged, but the, uh, it's reinforced the, the trends that we were playing into uh, overall. I think that on some of the, you know, um, immediate impacts, we have seen increased demand from some of our customers that are providing connectivity for COVID-related items. Um, and so that, uh, that is uh, increased um, demand. Um, some areas of that increase has been supply chain uh, challenge, so we, uh, we can't ship uh, all the demand that we're seeing in some of those areas. Uh, and our Sierra Wireless Gateways are providing uh, some reach in there. We're more of a, a industrial uh, and uh, a public safety uh, leader uh, in that versus the uh, uh, lower end uh, type of um, uh, just uh, uh, Wi-Fi hotspot. Um, but we are seeing demand for that. We moved our um, op key operations team managing our network to have uh, Sierra wireless routers in their homes so that in addition to their home broadband, they had a wireless failover and that's worked exceptionally well. Um, I am uh, running this conference call from uh, my router and uh, we've deployed that to a number of, uh, of key executives. We're continuing to be, uh, to be rolling that out. Uh, just was responding to an email before this call with a major carrier looking for more backup solutions. Uh, and so I, I think there are, there are um, spots where we get to play in, Paul. Hey, thanks, I'll pass on. Your next question comes from Thanos Moshopoulos from BMO Capital Markets. Your line is open. Hi, good afternoon. Um, so you had a good booking from Q1 and, and you're seeing a good pipeline, but can you speak to um, sales cycles in the current environments? Um, are they extending or are they progressing as normal for the most part in, in, in verticals outside of auto? Yeah, hi, Thanos. Uh, Kent here. Thanks for that question. So um, as we look at our, uh, I'm going to talk about a couple of segments of our business, but when we look at IoT solutions um, and the design win cycle of getting modules embedded in, in products. Uh, as, as we've discussed before, the reason we use LTAR is because we, uh, we have a cycle to get the products out there and then getting those products deployed give us a reasonable run rate in year three. Um, we've had quite a bit of efforts and we've seen significant improvement in, in uh, time to revenue. So we record from when we get the design win to when we get a thousand using units active and we have uh, metrics and focus on that. Uh, we've almost halved the uh, time to revenue from once we started tracking this. And so uh, the cohort of our 2019 uh, design wins is, um, has, has made significant progress, and I expect further progress with the cohort of 2020 design wins. 
Okay, that's helpful. Um, and then just in terms of getting, but I was, I was referring also to just signing the wins in the first place, uh, to what extent, I mean, March was, was, the March quarter was strong, but in terms of the past month or so, um, it, what you're seeing as far as customer behavior, are, are deals taking longer to close or is that progressing more like normal? Yeah, of course, there's some impacts, and, and really, it's uh, you know getting uh, getting things signed off or is being impacted somewhat. Um, we um, continue to have great uh, customer discussions and engagement, so not seeing any slowdown in the demand. I think that there could be some our LTAR signings in Q2. Uh, some of those would get delayed into Q3 potentially, but from uh, you know from what we're looking to do in the year, um, we from a, a design win perspective, we still feel good. Um, with respect to OPEX, how should we think about uh, OPEX in the uh, short term, um, given some of the uh, cost measures you're taking? Hey, Thanos, it's Dave here. You know, I think um, we, are, uh, we are managing our expenses very carefully here. Uh, you know, salary decreases for the exec team. We've delayed salary increases. We're, we're really clamping down on, on um, you know, any discretionary spending in CapEx. Uh, we are making some selected investments, though. So we are, and that's really to feed the longer-term uh, growth, particularly in IoT solutions. So, you know, the uh, the opex that you saw in Q1, I think, um, you know, you'll see a, a level similar in uh, in Q2. And uh, you know, there are some some lumpy expenditures coming up in Q2 from a product development perspective. So, expect uh, expect a similar number here in the short term. Okay. And then uh, finally, can you expand a little bit on in terms of the performance of the gateway business um, during the quarter and also um, to what extent as you look forward to Q2, is that being affected by the supply constraints? Um, well, as we said, we entered the uh, the quarter a bit heavy on some inventory. We uh, we talked about in our Q4 results that uh, the delay of the 2G, 3G sunset had uh, slowed some gateway business. And so we um, we were a bit heavy on inventory, and that affected Q1. I think that that uh, we, for the year, see that uh, that business uh, rebounding. There are areas where COVID um, is providing opportunities, and there's areas where it's providing slowdowns. So for some customers with a need for uh, installs of equipment, uh, some of those facilities are closed, and so those installs aren't happening. Uh, but uh, when we're into transit buses and uh, public safety vehicles, um, there's uh, there's been more opportunities in garages to get installs completed. So we're uh, we're continuing to move along. There's some you know some some impacts. We've been very active on on working to uh, to manage through um, our sales into the oil and gas sector uh, have been challenged, obviously with what's gone on in in uh, in that area. But uh, you know public safety and other areas uh, you know have 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 the opposite effect. Um, in terms of uh, supply chain. Um, you know, there has been, while our uh, contract manufacturers in Flex and JBO have remained open, and I think done an exceptional uh, job, Flex was closed for a short time and, and worked uh, to catch up quickly. Uh, a number of our component providers producing factories in Malaysia and Mexico and uh, shutdowns there have hurt, it, hurt some supply. So there will be some likely supply constraints of volume on, on particular models that can um, get delayed, but we're working very closely with our suppliers on that. So that's some of the unpredictability that uh, that we that we talked about. Um, but um, you know, the teams are the teams are working hard and effectively in, in managing those supply constraints. Great, um, that's it for me, uh, Dave. Congrats on your retirement, and I'll pass the line. Uh, thanks, Thanos.
Your next question comes from Scott Cyril from Roth Capital. Your line is open. Hey, good afternoon. Thanks for taking my questions. Um, Dave, uh, all the best in your retirement. Uh, you'll Thanks, Scott. Um, hey, uh, just to, to, to follow up quickly on the gateway front, I thought you said the gateways were uh, down sequentially. I just want to confirm that. It sounds like certainly from a vertical market standpoint, some of your verticals like, like oil and gas are a little bit challenged. But is, is that correct? Did that include M to M? But it sounds like that's starting to come back. So should we sequentially expect – you know, gateway slash enterprise solutions routers to be growing sequentially into the June quarter? Yes, Scott, it's Dave here. That's certainly our uh, our expectation. As Ken mentioned, you know, there's there's sectors that are challenged, and you mentioned oil and gas, but um, there's also, you know, demand, uh, uh, you know, strengthening in, in other areas. So we do have expectations of, of growing the, uh, the gateway sales sequentially, and we're, you know, managing the supply chain to uh, – to uh, be ready to uh, to uh, to meet that demand. Gotcha, Scott. And, um, Scott, Scott, oh, I'll just add, I'll just add to that as well. You know, we've continued to uh, to focus on strengthening our uh, sales capability in some areas there. So I mentioned um, Steve Harmon's come on as uh, senior vice president for Americas, and and will be uh, driving sales there. And the addition of uh, Michael Frey and uh, a group of his sales colleagues from uh, Ruckus. Uh, in Germany helps us with our uh, enterprise uh, capabilities in the European market as well. So we're making investments to drive sales as well as uh, as well as market activity. Gotcha. And just to clarify, on the embedded front, it it sounds like in general that that business did a little bit better this quarter because there were some pull-ins from auto, and it sounds like there was some end of life as it related to networking. Could you kind of quantify for us? what those pull-ins look like, what that end of life kind of looks like for some networking products so we can be calibrated going into what looks like a declining sequential embedded quarter related to auto, but it sounds like the gross margins in that business are going to be up sequentially. Uh, yeah, so just unpacking that a bit, Scott. So the uh, the end of life comment was really a, a comment on the comparable quarter a year ago, and that was in our uh, network modules business where we had some end of life products. So the you know the large customers uh, took an end of life buy and then uh, and then worked through that in the in the following quarters. So that was a you know kind of a, a reference to a, a a tough comp a year ago on on the network side. Um, you know the other uh, with respect to uh, to automotive. Yeah, we had a pretty good quarter in uh, in Q1 in automotive. Um, you know, and that's um, you, you know nothing uh, nothing to size there, but it was uh, demand was strong and and despite the um, you know the supply uh, situation. We were able to, you know, do a bit of a hurry up in March and uh, and meet that demand. So uh, we uh, we did conclude with a strong quarter in automotive in Q1. Okay, very helpful. And then in terms of the cloud and connectivity side, um, the recurring revenue business continues to grow. But can you give us some idea of what it takes to to start to improve and see some leverage on the gross margin front there? Maybe maybe as part of that. Help us understand how much of that mix is is airtime or traffic, um, or devices under management. Maybe a little bit of color. And where is uh, Octave in in terms of the deployment cycle? Yeah. So uh, Scott, it's Ken here. I think that the um, uh, you know we're starting to see the the growth that uh, that we've expected to uh, to come about. So our um, overall service revenue. Uh, was up sequentially by 17%. And that was about uh, half organic, half from uh, M to M. Uh, when we look at the recurring revenue side of that, it was up uh, more strongly. It was up 21.7% um, uh, year on year. 
So that uh, that growth in our recurring revenue side is uh, is definitely um, happening. We've been talking about uh, this growth and the design wins, the flywheel effect uh, that comes in there. So that will continue to have a, an increasing impact as we move through the quarters and we move through the years, move towards the 200 million and 400 million recurring revenue uh, that we talked about. As far as Octave, we launched that product in Q4 um, and we had uh, um, a number of uh, great design wins in the, in the first quarter. And, uh, you know, we expect to increase that design win cadence quite a bit this year. Um, it's moving along well, but because of the time to revenue on those and, and the LTAR wins, it won't be having immediate impact. The increases we're seeing right now are from, you know, design wins in 2018 and the early part of 2019 that start to come to fruition. And so the uh, $94 million of LTAR that we uh, uh, shared with you from 2019, um, you know, we'll start to be getting uh, more of that as this year progresses. And then the strong Q1 uh, design wins, you'll start to see those uh, in uh, in 2021 start to uh, start to play through and and uh, continue to accelerate that flywheel. Great. And and lastly, if I could, just maybe a quick update on the competitive landscape. Um, you know, some of the Chinese manufacturers started to to show up. I think more in North America as I was going to trade shows and whatnot in the fall. Um, certainly, the rhetoric has has been amped up a little bit in the current COVID environment and with current administration. So I'm wondering what that competitive tone and landscape looks like are the Chinese becoming less competitive the Kectels and otherwise in the world with some of the OEM uh, design wins that you're going after if you could just kind of give us an update on what that's looking like in the current environment thank you sure sure so you know part of the strategy that we've embarked on in Sierra Wireless was to expand in the value chain and have a more differentiated solution with a combination of our leading hardware and complete uh, service and cloud solution and that strategy is is playing out well um, on the um, hardware only side. You know there is margin pressure, there is um, some commoditization aspects, and that's what we've been working to uh, to build a more comprehensive solution for customers. Um, we uh, we shared previously the Gartner study, which showed that we were uh, able to uh, increase customers' uh, time to market uh, significantly and reduce their total cost of deployment by having a completely end-to-end um, -end solution that we were able to deploy for the customer, and they weren't having to put all of the components together, do the embedded software engineering at the edge, um, et cetera. So that uh, differentiation is helping us win a lot of deals. The, the five design wins I talked about um, had uh, many low-cost competitors competing for those significant pieces of business, and you heard me talk about the not just significant recurring revenue that will come from those design wins, but also significant um, hardware uh, values that uh, that we're winning. So our strategy is playing out well there. Uh, in some parts of the market where it's a, a simpler hardware-only uh, component, um, you know, those parts of the markets can be can be more challenged. Uh, we've defined where we want to win, and we are. And uh, we work to retain our customers that uh, we've had long-standing relationships with. And uh, so in in this uh, you know changing environment, and I think especially with LPWA where modular costs. Uh, you know, get lower, but volumes get higher. Um, you know, we're, our strategy is, is, is playing out well. Great, thank you. Your next question comes from Harry Popple from PopTech LP. Your line is open. Thank you, it's uh, Harvey Popple. 
two short questions. One's a follow-up to the previous discussion, which is when we talk about supply chains, obviously you're, uh, you appear to have quite a large dependence on China, uh, even though you have uh, Vietnam in the picture and other sources. Uh, wh what are you doing, if anything, to reduce your dependency on China? Um, hi, Harvey. Kent Thexton here. So we have uh, two major uh, contract manufacturing locations. Uh, we have Flex in China, and we have Jabil in Vietnam. So most, all of our gateway products and, and uh, most of our non-automotive uh, products are in Vietnam. Um, and uh, so, you know, we've, we made that move, especially with the tariff situation a year ago to uh, have all of our um, end user products, our gateways built in Vietnam. So that transition has been completed. Um, and so I think that, that that has us less exposed um, to any issues with China. You know, that said, um, the, the, the China uh, economy has opened up more quickly than the rest of the world. So the sort of less component issues from anything coming from China, the component supply chain challenges we've had has been with uh, disruptions in uh, in Malaysia and Mexico, and uh, you know we work to keep uh, ahead of these as best as possible. But uh, you know, and have been very uh, working closely with Jabel on uh, on uh, on the Vietnam situation, and and uh, you know, they've been doing a very good job of of managing that. So it's a um, it's a moving feast. Um, uh, myself and our supply chain chain uh, executives. Uh, are on the phone three times a week to work through exactly what's going on and staying on top of the situations and uh, making adjustments, managing inventory levels. So it's fluid, but uh, but the team's doing a good job. Good, thanks. And second question was, I know you've talked about recurring revenue. In fact, you've emphasized it in your opening remarks. Um, I didn't, maybe I missed it, but what is the actual level of recurring revenue, or what you would classify as recurring revenue in the first quarter? What a dollar amount? Sure. So we, we've talked to services and recurring, and, and uh, the vast majority of our service revenue is recurring. So in the uh, first quarter, our, uh, our total service revenue was $26.8 million, and of that, the recurring revenue was 25.9. Okay, and that, that's the sum total of recurring revenue you have in the company too. That's correct. I mean, okay, so you have a, I mean, a big, uh, a big hill to climb to get to your uh, hundreds and millions of dollars uh, target over the next uh, four years. Uh, well, you know, this is um, the visibility is quite high because we have the design wins that are fueling the growth. So when we have a customer. That uh, you know, some of the customers I've talked about previously, we had an industrial lighting customer that was lighting up 100,000 um, uh, of our uh, modules with our connectivity, and that was a million dollars of hardware across the whole deployment. But then it's 1.8 million a year of recurring revenue. So uh, last year we had uh, approximately 1,200 design wins with recurring revenue in them. So uh, as these hardware units get deployed, our recurring revenue keeps building. So we have um, we have many um, customers with significant scale as they uh, as they build out. So we have visibility of those accounts and uh, and map through to um, see where our 200 and 400 million targets are being produced. So there's it's um, the, uh, the the Q1 
design win of, uh, of Altar was uh, ahead of our expectations. So, you know, we continue to progress towards the plan we have in place to win more business because we have a differentiated comprehensive solution that's better for customers. And those wins drive um, both hardware revenue and long-term recurring revenue, which is, uh, you know, valuable because it's repeating revenue. Most of the devices we deploy, like in an industrial light or a, a HVAC system that we talked about, are there for the life of the asset. So eight to ten years would be typical, and we get the recurring revenue for uh, for that period of time. And our recurring revenue is uh, is higher gross margin, and we're seeing uh, gross margin trends improve um, as we continue to scale our connectivity business. Good. All right. Thank you very much. And your last question comes from Todd Copeland from CIBC. Your line is open. Uh, yes, good evening, everyone. Um, I wanted to see if I could uh, get an idea uh, about the impact of the auto business. Um, so, Dave, I, first of all, Dave, congratulations on uh, your retirement. I, uh, I hope you get to do something fun. Um, so we'll, we'll miss you on these conference calls. Um, thanks, 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 Todd. And just for just for the record, this is fun. <laughs> every, every minute of it. Um, uh, automotive on the, uh, on, on the automotive side, yeah. Um, I think you said look back to embedded broadband last year. So, is the number we should look at the 335 million? So auto is roughly half of that. That's what I was referring to, yes, just to give you a rough sizing. Okay. So 167 million, 42 million a quarter. So for Q2, should we assume that that is essentially zero and then comes back comes back over time? Is, it, is that, that a dramatic impact in, in terms of these shutdowns? No, um, no, it's not. It's not zero, Todd. Um, you know the the uh, the OEM factories are, you know, beginning to ramp up now. So we, you know, we we have, you know, we have orders booked in the quarter for Q2. It's just that they're dramatically down from, you know, what we saw in um, in uh, in Q1. And you know, these are these are high volume customers. So that could, uh, you know, that could be a, you know, it's a, it's a no, it's a noticeable number, but it certainly isn't zero. Okay. Um, that's uh, that's helpful. And as we think about the the pace of how automotive might come back over time, how are you guys thinking about that? Well, certainly, um, you know, uh, we g- given given the work we've done with you know rescheduling with our customers, we have expectations of a you know a, a return to to decent levels in Q3. But I do want to caveat that you know COVID is a daily moving piece here so you know that's our that's our current expectation and we've been you know working closely with our customers as we reschedule orders to uh you know build a build a a book for q3 but um you know that's uh that's uh caveated by the overall covid situation okay and then we haven't really talked about this but um there's been a lot a lot a lot of detailed questions on the business x auto how are you guys thinking about, I guess, various recovery scenarios? Um, you know, is it a V? Is it an L? Is it a U? Um, do, you know, what's the chances of some of the, you know, you, you did mention briefly 
some of the orders are taking a bit longer to close. Have you, have you actually uh, seen sort of new decision environments actually show up yet, or is, is, does that still have to play out given whatever the economic backdrop is, and that what would be the sensitivity to those various scenarios? Just qualitatively give us your thoughts on, on that. Thank you. Yeah, hi, Todd. It's Kent here. Um, I mean, I think that if we could um, put the uh, right alphabet letter with the recovery, we um, you know, would have been able to give guidance. I think that the, uh, the challenge is that nobody really knows exactly what the recovery is going to look like. Um, we are, um, you know, we've done uh, significant improvements to our forecasting process uh, so that we can uh, be much more uh, uh, dexterous in the, in the capturing of customer demand um, and, uh, and playing that through our operations. So we have, um, you know, good demand signals from our customers, but, uh, you know, the, the world can continue to change. So we, we see things opening up right now. We see customer orders, um, uh, you know, in areas like automotive in particular starting to come back. Um, but there's, uh, you know, potential that we have further um, cycles with, uh, with COVID-19 that can, uh, can set us back. Uh, we see lots of, uh, you know, government stimulus to get businesses going. Um, you know, we're, we're lucky in that we play a large part into, uh, uh, you know, we are not in the consumer market. I'd say our only real consumer exposure is in automotive. Uh, we provide uh, IoT connectivity into uh, industrial processes. Uh, we are lots of times uh, involved in helping companies save money. Um, and, uh, and that's going to be, you know, very important as things roll forward. So I think that the, um, the, the recovery is the ability for um, our customers to be able to, um, you know, on new product introductions, be able to test the network, certify, and get those deployed. Um, and for our uh, end customers continuing to sell products, whether that's HVAC systems or industrial lighting or it's, uh, it's pumps, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's measuring in uh, electrical utilities, you know, all of the sectors that we play in. So we're, you know, of course, caught up in the overall economy, but we're, as a, as a business to business provider that uh, is helping provide automate automation and save companies money. Um, you know, we're, we're in a, we're in a good place uh, to, uh, to deal with this. The exact shape of the recovery and the exact impact our numbers is, is something that we're obviously doing scenario planning around and uh, ensuring that we will um, um, manage our expenses to the right level in all scenarios, but uh, also being ready to, uh, to grow and take advantage of the opportunities the market presents as things start to come back, uh, come back up. So, you know, uh, that's, uh, you know, a general view that, uh, you know, we, we see things coming back. We have a projection, we run scenarios and, uh, we're ready to react as the, uh, as the, as the market, um, firms up what's going to happen. Great. Really appreciate the color. Have a good evening, everyone. Thanks Todd. Thanks Todd. And there are no further questions. I'll turn the call back over to Kent Sexton for closing remarks. Okay. Well, thank you, everybody. Uh, first and foremost, I hope everyone stays uh, stays healthy and is managing well through this challenging situation. Um, getting uh, very used to uh, multiple hours of video calls uh, every day, uh, as I'm sure you are. Thank you for joining us today. Glad to share uh, our outlook. Uh, glad to share our uh, continued building success in uh, our transformation to leading IoT solutions business. And um, uh, you know, thank Dave again for his service, welcome Sam on board, and, uh, and new key players of the, of the team, uh, such as uh, Steve for the Americas. So thank you very much, and we'll be talking to you many of you shortly. Cheers. 
Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.